I'm so excited for tonight. As you guys know, we are in our Throne of David series. We've looked at David and the type of relationship that he had with the Father. We've also studied how his identity was defined by knowing the truth about God in the world. And if you guys will remember back to that very first teaching with me, we talked about the prophecy from Isaiah 9, that a throne would be established on this, this child, and he would reign on the throne of David. So we're looking deeply at the heart and the character of David throughout the summer because we want to know what kind of man captured God's heart to that extent, captured God's heart to the point of where he would want to reign on that name. So... Also back in the first teaching, we talked about our hopes for the summer, and the first hope was that it would be a time of intentional rest. As we go through the Psalms, as we talk about this heart, as we go through this series, that as a church, but also as individuals, we would have an intentional rest, a slowing of the pace, and I hope you guys have already felt that. I know that I have, even on our Sundays, just, um, I mean, there's hot dogs after church, so we get time to kick back, relax. I think summer's been so fun already, so I hope you guys are feeling that. Um, it's also going to be a time where you're going to hear from other leaders, as Alex told us, um, our elders and then other leaders like myself. And so I'm here today and so excited and so honored to get to be a voice to talk about the Psalms with you guys as we dive deeper into the heart of David and with that, the heart of God. So with that little recap, if you guys want to open up your Bibles with me to Psalms 84, middle-ish of your Bible. And so some of you... Um, might be wondering why Psalm 84, some of you Bible nerds out there, because if you know Psalm 84, you know that we're not sure if David wrote it, but this is still a crucial psalm to why we would understand the heart of David. One, because this psalm reflects the type of desires and the type of culture that flourished under David's leadership. So we want to look at it because the leader reflects the heart of the people when it's a leader that's followed willingly. It's the people that will show kind of what he was inspiring, what he was doing. The other reason we want to look at Psalm 84 is because this psalm is very much about a heart of worship. And if we know anything about David, we know that he was a worshiper, that he was someone who loved to worship God, um, not just with his heart, but also with his voice and actually in song. And so we want to look at what it means to have a heart of worship um, and to look at this worshiper who captured the heart of God. So I'm excited for Psalm 84, and let's get into it together. Verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen. So good, right? So as we go through this psalm, there's something I want to think about first. I want to think about how different people have different appreciations for the same thing. 
Think about that with me. So think about like fine food or different subjects, different places. Depending on who you are, you may have a greater or lesser appreciation. When I think about that scale, well, when I thought about it this time, I thought about Disneyland. And I thought about three levels of appreciation. I thought about my dad's level, my level, and my friend Sarah's level. That's my litmus test. So think about people like my dad. My dad's appreciation for Disneyland doesn't super exist. One, he hasn't watched very many Disney movies. He like can't sit and watch a movie. It's a thing he has. He hasn't watched movies. He doesn't know much about Walt Disney. He doesn't like California. It's too hot. And he doesn't like people. I mean, he likes people. But he would probably rather be like out at sea than in a sea of people. So that's where we'll put him like that. And he'd rather get his churros at Costco. Loves Costco. So... Think about people like me. I would say I'm the next level. Um, I appreciate Disneyland because I do have my favorite movies, the ones I love. If I'm going with my friends, I love the energy. I love how fun it is. I get excited to go, especially if there's like other people hyping me up. But I also am I'm not going to be the first person in line in the morning. I'm going to sleep. I'm probably, I will buy a churro, but that'll be like the only thing I buy. And I, the line's like, yeah, I'm going to think about it. I'm like, oh, maybe I don't want to wait for two hours. But... Then you have my friend Sarah. My friend Sarah has not only can quote all of her favorite Disney movies, she's written like six reports on Walt Disney, watched anything she can on him, what his dreams were, how he built Disneyland, what it looked like. She also in her wedding vows, she vowed to remind her husband of the magic of Walt Disney. That shows you where that relationship is. She is fully invested in this story. She's invested in this place because she's learned about it since she was little. Because she enjoys Disneyland more than anyone I've seen because of how much she knows and because of the joy that it's brought her. Now, I know Disney has its downfalls, but the main point is a lot of the time, the more you know a story, the more your experience has been impacted, the more you enjoy it. That a people who's been captured by a story, who's been captured by a narrative, that they want to immerse themselves and they want to keep knowing more. So today, as we enter into this psalm, I think it's important to look at the text right before you see verse 1. You're going to see written in probably small letters in your Bible. It says, to the choir master according to the Gittith, which is just basically talking about the musical part of it. But this is the part I want to pay attention to, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, the reason that I want to talk about the sons of Korah in relation to this psalm is we don't know if they wrote it. We don't know if maybe they contributed or if they just sang it or what it is. But we know that this psalm resonated with them because of their experience, because of who they saw God to be and because of the history that we saw. So I don't want to miss this because talking about the heart of worship to the sons of Korah is like talking about Disneyland to Sarah. It's like talking to, a, to someone who earnestly loves it, knows it wants to be there. So we'll go back a little bit. I'm going to explain a little about who they are. So Korah, there's a crazy story in number 16 introducing Korah, so dad of the sons. And he decided that him and a group of people decided they wanted to challenge Moses and Aaron for the priesthood. I'm going to make a long story pretty short. They go for it. They test the priesthood, test God, ends up that the earth opens up, swallows them up, closes over them. I know, bad, bad news. <laughs> But also, numbers isn't boring. There's like a talking donkey in there too, I think. Pretty fun. So we see, the, but we see the sons of Korah appear again later in 26. So dad's gone. He, because of his disobedience, swallowed up. There we go. But sons come back 
in Numbers 26. And whether the sons were too young to understand their dad's revolt so they didn't participate, or they actually acknowledged God's authority and didn't want to join their father, we're not sure which one it was, but we do know that this line was sustained, that the sons of Korah became the doorkeepers and the custodians of the tabernacle that the sons of Korah were also, they fought with David as warriors, but I think most remarkably, they also became leaders of music in the tabernacle. These men became the worship leaders in the temple of God, in the presence of God. So who better to understand a psalm that talks about the heart of worship, that talks about the presence of God, than these men? Because they understood it. Because they were able to be where they were placed. They weren't striving for something else like their father. They were able to enjoy the presence. So tonight, as we walk through this psalm, I think that we are being told a story of what it looks like to enjoy God's presence. To a people who, this psalm isn't trying to convince anyone of God's goodness. It's not trying to say, oh, hey, let's, let's think about the reasons why we should. This is people enjoying it together. The sons of Korah, they would have got this, and they would have been singing it together, rejoicing it together, saying, how sweet is this? And so my prayer tonight as we walk through Psalm 84 is that we too would catch that heart. We would catch the heart that enjoys the presence of God. So with that intro, let's look at verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. They start the psalm with a declaration. The presence of God, it is lovely. I faint for it. To faint for something, that language means um, a need, a desire, but more than a desire. So think of fainting. If you're going to faint, it's because you need water or you need rest or maybe something really scared you, but there's a need for something that's causing the fainting. So they're saying, I need the presence of God like I need water. I need the presence of God not just because it's a nice to have, but because I must have it to keep going. I must have the presence of God to stay on my feet. And that when they're in this presence, their automatic response is worship. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Heart and flesh is this picture of all of me. So when I'm in your presence, God, all of me can't help but to worship you. So why? Why would we long in this way that they're longing? In this way of saying, I need to be there. Why do we long for our beds after we've had a super long day? Or why do we long for our friends and family if we haven't seen them for years? Why do we long for food when we're hungry? Because it's rest for us or because it satisfies a need for us, or I think one of the main reasons is because we long for the things that we enjoy, that satisfy that deep need for joy in us. So this first couple verses here is setting up the rest of the psalm, what it has to say, the why behind a genuine enjoyment of the presence of God. We've already said that part of the summer season is that we would take time for intentional rest and reflection. I think this also is a season where we're going to get to learn what it looks like to fully enjoy the presence of God. That's what a heart of worship in Psalm 84 wants to teach us. How do I enjoy being with Jesus? Because I want longing like what they're talking about. I want to be able to say that I have longing like verse 1 and verse 2. So as we explore the rest of the text, I want to share with you guys the five reasons that I see kind of jumping out from the text of what are the reasons for longing? Why would we long for the presence of God in this way? So with that, let's take a look at verse 3. Verse 3, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. 
The first thing that Psalm 84 has to tell us about enjoying the presence of God is that it happens when his presence is our home. He enjoys the presence of God because that is where he finds home. So what is, what is home? Home is where your people are. Home is where you feel at ease, the people and the space that's familiar to you. God as our father and his presence, it should be familiar to us. Not in that way of familiar like, oh, we have hamburger helper every Friday. Familiar in that way of you are my peace, you are my safe place. Because we all know the presence of God is anything but boring. But the presence of God should be something that we're not just encountering once a month, once a week. That he's offering to us on this every day saying, come home to me every day. And I know that not all of us can say, oh yeah, I experience the presence of God all the time. Sometimes that felt presence of God, we don't see it every day. Sometimes I do pray and I'm like, okay, well, that was good. going to go. But. Just because we don't experience the felt presence of God doesn't mean that we stop asking for him. Can I look around and acknowledge the truth of his presence in the world? Can I look at the biblical truth and just know, like, God, your presence is here? I think tonight it's like an easy scenario to say, yes, God, it's here. But can we every day, can we step back and say, God, your presence is here? Do I go to my scriptures every day? Am I hungry for the word of God? Do I wake up and say, oh, that's where I want to be? Or is that the last thing on my mind? Do I sing the songs that I have for him? As you desire and you want and you go there every day, that's when his presence is home. Because it's familiar. Because it's the place that you keep going back to. And not because of emotional response, even though we love when the spirit works that way. But because it's our sureness in who he is and the desire, again, to just keep going back. His presence should be familiar to us. If Sunday's the only time we want his word, it's the only time that we do sing for joy to him. If Sunday's the only time that we declare our hope or we ask for God's kingdom to come, God's not our home. He's like a neighbor that we enjoy talking to when we run into him. We most enjoy the presence of God when he is our home. And what's another thing that we do at home? We rest. We've talked about that already this summer of the importance of rest, but part of enjoying the presence of God, if he is our home, he is also our rest. And that's a huge part when people talk about Sabbath is this discipline of setting aside a day, setting aside a period of time to simply and only say, I'm going to enjoy the presence of God. Say, yes, God, I know that you're here and I am here for you. And it's funny how when you hear people teach the Bible, you hear them say a lot like, oh, yeah, I was taught when I was preparing that. Well, that happened to me with this part. The part where I'm talking about where we find our rest, I kind of stood back and was like, what am I doing? My husband and I have been talking a lot about how tired that we are. I blame it on a puppy, but I don't think it's all the puppy's fault. I think that I've been trying to search and find all the reasons of like, okay, why am I so tired and how can I fix it? But God, as I was prepping this, showed me a better question. The question of not why are you tired, but where are you finding your rest? And where I'm finding my rest this last few weeks has been, oh, and like a couple hours of TV at night, or, oh, I want to just get away for the afternoon, or, oh, I'm going to just take a nap. And I don't think those things are bad. I think self-care is so important. I think bubble baths are something people should integrate in their lives. But I do think that this is a place where we have to remember that the answer to that question of where do I find my rest, if it's not Jesus, you're not going to find it. And if his presence is our home, We have to approach our day of that place of rest with him. We have to approach our day of knowing that I will only be filled if I'm filled by him. 
And a person filled, filled by the Spirit of God is refreshed by getting with him, by getting to know him, by getting to hear from his word and hear from his voice. And if we aren't, as people who say that we're Jesus people, if we aren't people who crave that kind of rest, who that's where we find our rest, how is the world going to tell us apart? How are they going to know what's going to quench a soul's thirst? How are they going to know how to be removed from the tyranny of hurry or how to even just find what feels like peace if we're not able to say, oh, I know where you can find rest, and it's Jesus. And I know from just talking to people daily, people are tired. I think of when I talk, ask people throughout the week, like, how's it going? A lot of the time it's like, oh, gosh, I'm so tired. Or life is so busy. And, I mean, I'm probably the one saying that half the time. But that this is the place, like, the world is a place that needs the rest of Jesus, that needs the peace of God. And to be a people who can come and who can say, oh, I can tell you about it because I felt it, we have to be a people who steps back and says, okay, I really believe this. I'm going to stop. I'm going to rest. And I'm going to rest intentionally with him to take a day, to take moments in your day, to simply enjoy his presence, to go home. This is where we can answer people's question with the yoke feels easy and the burden feels light because we know where rest can be found. So on a practical note, I would say that I'm repenting of this this week, of my search for rest in all the wrong places. And I encourage each of us to make space to let him be our rest this week. Let summer be a time where you experiment with changing your rhythms, of finding spaces where, okay, yeah, I can open up and let God hear. Because if he's not the first place that we go for rest, we're not going to find it. And we're going to keep trying things that don't work. So here he gives us the answer. It's him. Go there first. I'm so thankful to follow a God who values rest, who values our joy, who wants to meet me and fill me. And still, rest is one of those places where it doesn't come easy, at least not to be intentional like this. We have to choose to prioritize his presence. And the crazy thing about priorities is they expose what we really believe. So do we really believe that he's rest? Because how we live will reveal what we truly believe. So how we seek rest will reveal what we believe about where it's found. And will we be a people who enjoy him as our home and as our rest? So number one, we enjoy the presence of God by making it home. Let's look at verse five. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Sorry, one second. Better. So... <laughs> Throughout the scripture, Zion is going to relate both to the city of David and the area in Jerusalem where he established his kingdom, but also to the Jewish people. It's also going to relate to the presence of God in his holy temple. So just a really sweet note, again, about this biblical narrative of pointing to the throne of David that's being built on the presence of God. Those who say, I'm not going anywhere, your presence is not, those people will find strength, the kind of peace and strength that comes when we're confident that he goes before us. These kinds of people will go through the Valley of Baca and will make it a place of springs. Now, for those of you who don't know what the Valley of Baca is, I didn't either, it's thought to be somewhere near Lebanon and to be a dry desert-like place. Something like, I think I have a picture. Yeah, something like this. So it doesn't look super fun to hang out in. And I'm not really confident that there would naturally be springs or pools of water or the type of imagery we're seeing here in this psalm. But I think what they're getting at is that the person who enjoys the presence of God, who finds their strength in him, can make a dry valley flourish. 
I've heard a lot of people saying, you probably have too, things like, oh, I'm in like a valley season, um, or just it feels like the valley, and it's never meant as a good thing. Like, I think maybe we could think of that because this valley is wine country and it's beautiful, but typically when people say it, they're not saying they're having a great time. So worshipers of God are meant to be those who can enter the desert valley and bring the refreshment of his spirit with them. Not only for our own desert valleys, like yes, we go to the spirit there and he replenishes our souls and we will see those springs, but it's so that we can walk into another person's valley and say, hey, I have water for you to drink. That you can walk into another person's valley and you can say, that God is strength, and you can give of that strength. We go to the presence of God, not just for ourselves, but for the people here, for the people in our lives, that we would go to his presence, we would be strengthened, we would be nourished, and we would get to go out and give it away. And this is why relationships with the people around you is crucial. This is why we're doing things like Home Sunday, or we're doing things like Talk for Four Minutes, the things that might sound like kind of uncomfortable, it's because relationship is crucial to being able to walk through a desert valley and to know that you have people around you who will come and who will give you water to drink because they know the source of it. And this is why we talk about what the Spirit is up to. We talk about what God's doing. This is why we talk about testimonies, why you guys will see a slide as you walk around church that's saying, share your testimonies. Because sharing a testimony is giving water to dry places. And together we get to go from strength to strength. So whether it's your valley or someone else's valley or a mountain, invite him there. And that is the second thing to enjoy in the presence of God is invite him everywhere. Ask to hear him, know him, enjoy him in every place that you're in. Part of what these verses are saying are that those whose hearts are set on the presence of God, they will see him everywhere. They will carry the presence with them. You guys have heard Alex use that analogy of the dove on the shoulder of I'm going where he's going. And I have to think that the understanding of God's presence is part of what made Paul say in Philippians 4 that I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, is that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul had learned the same thing that he's talking about here in the Psalms, that the presence of God is like drinking water in the desert or praising on the mountain, that the secret is that presence of God is in every place. The secret of contentment in every place is that, oh, God's presence can be accessed anywhere. And there we find contentment for our souls, and we go from strength to strength. Let's look at verse eight. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, our God. Look on the face of your anointed. We enjoy his presence in relationship. The heart of a worshiper is a heart that's secure enough in the goodness of God and who he is to be able to dialogue with God, to ask for his attention, to say like he does here in the psalm, hey, God, look at me, listen to me. I want to know you, but can you hear me? And I'm thinking about the kind of relationships that we're that bold. And what kind of relationships are you able to go to someone and say, hey, I don't think you're hearing me. Or like, hey, I would really like if you listened to me. I think of the relationships I do that in, and it's my close friends and my husband that I'm able to come with that kind of vulnerability and say, hey, listen, it's not my neighbor, it's not my coworker, but it's gonna be those that are close to me. And so with that, we fully enjoy the presence of God when we feel like we have that two-way street, when we don't feel like we have to act for him, but we feel like we can come, we can be real, and we can say, here is everything that I have. And when we feel like he's not hearing us, we can ask him, hey God, remember me, hear me? 
And that that's okay, that it's okay to be able to come to him with our anger or our hurt or our excitement and come to him with all of it. And I think we see that all over the Psalms. The psalmist being super vulnerable to be able to tell God whatever it is that he's thinking because he knows that he's in relationship with a good and kind God who's not going anywhere and who can take what he has to give. And let him speak back to you. Let him replace our truth with his truth. But first, you've got to tell him what you're thinking. We serve a relational God, and we don't want to miss out on that. And another thing that relationship means is we don't hide. If you think again about your closest relationships, the people that you care about the most, aren't those the people that you would run to, that you wouldn't be ashamed in front of, the people that you would say, hey, I messed up. I know that I can go to them because when I tell them, they're not going to leave. Yeah. That, those are those people and God is saying, I want a relationship with you where your shame doesn't keep you from my presence. Where you know that I'm so relational that when you come and you bring your shame and your sin, he's not going anywhere. Um, there's an a author that I was reading. His name, if you guys have um, listened to Bridgetown, you've probably heard something from him. But Brother Lawrence, he served as a lay brother in the Carmelite Monastery in Paris. And he has a quote that talks about the presence of God this way. He says, the holiest, most common, most necessary practice in the spiritual life is the presence of God. That is to take delight in and become accustomed to his divine company, speaking humbly and talking lovingly with him at all times. At every moment, without rule or system, and especially in times of temptation, suffering, spiritual artery, disgust, and even of unfaithfulness and sin. He's saying, especially in those times where you feel like you really messed up, it is then that you need his divine company even more. I love that. Become accustomed to his divine company. We're going back to that familiarity of home, but also with that relationship piece. That this is where we enjoy the presence of God and let it transform us no matter what season and no matter what we've done. The presence of God is enjoyed in relationship. Look at verse 10 with me. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So I want you guys to now think back to the sons of Korah again. Think of their father's fall because he wanted, he wanted somebody else's job in the house of the Lord. It was more about his status than about enjoying the presence. And the writer knows that the sons of Korah are going to get this almost better than anyone. That they're going to say, oh God, I would rather be anywhere. I would rather be in your house than anywhere, sorry. As, and I just, the only place that they wanted to be is in his house. No matter the position, no matter what they were given, they would sing this verse and instantly remember what God had done and how good that it is just to be near him. And it reminded them that unlike their father who was after status, they would be after the heart of God. We enjoy God's presence with remembrance. We enjoy God's presence by remembering the story that he's given us and the one he's told before. So I encourage you guys to remember your story. Think back to when God first won your heart, why? Why did you want to follow Jesus? Think back to what he's done throughout history, yes, and throughout the scriptures, but also on that relational level through you. What has he done? Ask him to bring to remembrance why you follow him and who he is. We'll be reminded of his goodness. And if you can't remember, ask others to remind you. Again, we are in this together. Let his word remind you. Let the people around you remind you of what God has done. And I also think when we think about remembrance, communion really easily comes to mind because communion this time where we step and it reminds us of a story that we've stepped into. It reminds us of a narrative that we live in. And part of the reason that we value communion so much is that it's us stopping and saying, Jesus, remind us of the true story. 
We enjoy God's presence with remembrance. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord, God of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. We enjoy God's presence by walking in his way. We believe that the way of Jesus is the best way, that he is good and the things that he says are good, and so we walk with him. He will not withhold himself from us. All of his goodness, his wisdom, his compassion, his peace, he's offering it to us to walk with him and to be with him. And I know that looking at this verse, it's super easy to think, well, people get blessed all the time and they don't walk with God. You even look at the scriptures and there's people who have a ton of abundance that were walking in sin. But the thing here is that there cannot be pure and full enjoyment of blessing outside of him. There cannot be pure and full enjoyment of blessing if you are not walking with him. God's goodness is intended to be enjoyed his way. He is the one giving it and he knows best how to use it. So when we are trying to just like grab at our own blessing or we're trying to figure out a way to twist what he's giving us outside of our design because we think we know better, we're missing out because we can't fully enjoy what he's giving us. We need to remember two things about the blessing of God. And one, which you guys will hear around here all the time, is that there is enough to go around. That God is coming, he's saying, oh, I want to give this to you, but I also want to give this to you and you and you. And you can't look to your right and your left and think it affects your blessing. It doesn't. And two, that fullness in blessing is only found in his way. This is where rest and enjoyment of blessing collide. Because we're not striving to get somebody else's blessing or even to try to get it for ourselves. We're not trying to make things happen. But we are going where his presence is. We are following his leading. And it's there we're also enjoying his blessing. As a church who fully believes in the blessing of God, I know it could be easy to get caught here and say, okay, so we're walking uprightly so that we can obtain his blessing. But that's backwards thinking. It is his presence that we long for. It's him that we long for. And because he is so good, there's going to be blessing. That is why being in his presence, knowing him for who he is, is so crucial. Because it's there we decide that we're following him as our king. It's there that we get to call blessing what it is. It's not the goal, but it's a byproduct of a generous God. We cannot think that God's fooled by religion, that there's some kind of formula of do this good thing and get this good thing. He's saying, follow me and let me show you how good I am. John Tyson says in his book, The Burden is Light, using religion as an attempt to manipulate God merely distracts us from the goal of our faith, which is to enjoy an intimate relationship with him. We cannot manipulate God. He knows our hearts, and we want to present the heart of a worshiper. We want to present a heart that is after him. And I know that there is where a lot of us are going to run into this kind of a crisis of control, because the beautiful and scary part about the presence of God is that when we're there, we give up our control. We give up the things that we think that we should be. We even give up the things that we think that God should be, and we let his spirit and his word tell us who he is and who we are. We give up what we think that our lives should look like, what our plan should end up like, or where we should live, what we should do, and we say, okay, I'm in his presence. I'm giving up control, God. You tell me. And we don't say, hey, God, this is where I'm going. We say, okay, God, I'm going to go where you go. By taking control and trying to use God as a means to an end, we miss out on the joy of his presence. Sky Jathani in his book, With, puts it this way. So much of contemporary religion is focused on God's gifts rather than God. 
We use God as a means of building or repairing our families. We use him as a sex therapist. He's our political advisor, our financial planner. From God's hand, we seek family, sex, power, wealth. But do we actually want God himself? We shouldn't be surprised to find that when we fixate on what we can attain from God, we fail to experience the peace of his presence in our lives. That is the story that Psalm 84 is telling us. Be after the presence of God. Be after God. Because there's nothing better. All the blessing that he can give, it's a glimpse of how good that he is. Don't be like Korah and be after a position or be after a status or be after something, something that's here, something that he gives, but be after him. Be after his presence regardless of the status, regardless of the blessing. That is when you get to step back and say, okay, God, yeah, better is one day with you than a thousand elsewhere. Not because of what you give, because in your presence I encounter you. Because in your presence I get to make that choice, what am I really after? And I just pray and hope tonight that our answer would be that we are after him. Because that is the heart of a worshiper. That is the heart of David. So this summer, let's enjoy the presence of God. Let's make it home. Make it a place that's familiar. Go there every day. A really like practical challenge, you guys, this summer, open up your Bibles once a day. Even if it is to be here in the Psalms, they're super short. It takes like three minutes. Go there and spend time with him. Two, invite him into every place. If you, I know all of us are in super different seasons here, but whether it's good or bad, it's ugly or beautiful, invite him there and see what he would say, see what he would do. Three, be in relationship. This summer, just enjoy the fact that you have a God who will dialogue with you, who hears you, who knows you, who sees you, and that says, oh, I wanna, I wanna enjoy you too. Four, remember that this would be a summer where we get to live in remembrance of thinking of the things that he's done, the goodness we've seen, that we would have other people remind us of the stories of God. And lastly, that we would walk in his way and enjoy him because it's there that we get to fully enjoy the blessing God gives when we're walking in the way he intended. <laughs> and God enjoys us, his creation, his beloved, his kids. And as we enjoy God and we recognize his presence in our world and our moments, we realize our design, the mutual enjoyment that our lives were designed for to walk in the cool of the garden with our God step by step with him, and that we would develop this love of sitting in each other's company. And the crazy thing about the presence of God, something that the sons of Korah didn't get to see, that David didn't get to see, is that he's given us access always, moment by moment, day by day. I think about these worshipers of God who, as they sang this song, they sang this longing, they were thinking of the temple. They were thinking, oh, if I could just be there, if I could just be in the presence of God, if I could get there, that's the place I want to be. They longed for it to be there. In Matthew 27, it tells us at the moment of Jesus' death that he cried out with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. The curtain that separated the people from the holies of holies, that separated the people from the presence of God, was gone. Jesus said, no more will I be separated from my people, but I will be with them moment by moment, day by day. So now we get to stand here today and say, God's presence is known outside temple walls, and not just that, in us, around us, with us. The spirit of God. We get to sit with him and know him and talk to him wherever we are, if we're in our car or we're at work or we're at church, it doesn't matter. 
He's there. And I want that to sink in tonight as we go and we go into a time of communion.